Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncommon Deeds and we got a a different one for you this week and it's something that we've talked about privately since we started this wanting to do after hours yeah wanting to do a like a round table with our friends or sports media or drivers or whatever it may be some some round table type discussions and we've never done one because we were waiting to do it in person and now we sit nearly coming up on a year since we decided to do this at yeah. least we decided i think in like november december last year yeah somewhere around yeah, there it's around christmas yeah yeah somewhere between thanksgiving and christmas and we are Really closer to being able to, to do that for many reasons. Uh, so we decided to give it a whirl this week because the milk bowl got delayed a couple weeks. And we were trying to think who we wanted for a guest this week. And we thought it would be a great week just to try it. Why not? This was like your first idea too. Back when in the brainstorming stage, it was like roundtable discussion was like the first thing that you came up with too. So it only took thirty five episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it was a perfect time for it. Yeah, and we figured, why not? We got two more weeks of build up for the milk bowl. There's not much else locally going on, and. Gave us a chance to catch up with people we haven't seen or maybe talked to in quite a while. and Yeah. Got some cool stories and talked about some cool stuff. Well, it was kind of cool to know that you and I, with our discussions, you know, off air, um, we're on the same page as a lot of those guys that were in the room with us um, in the discussion. And you'll, you'll hear about that um, as we go. But um, it was... Yeah, it was good to see. I haven't seen TJ Ingerson since uh, the opener in 2019 at Thunder Road. Um, and he and I used to sit next to each other every week with you up in the press box for years. Um, so it was great to see him. And used to carpool on occasion. Yep, we did. And um, I haven't seen Tom Herzig. Uh, it's probably been about a year. Um. And I just saw Alan, Alan Ward uh, last weekend at Devil's Bowl. It was good to see him again, obviously. And then Ricky, you know, I talk to Ricky almost every day, but um, I haven't seen his face in a long time. So no, even if it was test virtual. Episodes. Yeah. Um, so, but even if it was virtual in a, in a Zoom room, it was cool to, to actually have a discussion with those guys face-to-face. So uh, make sure you let us know what you thought of it. And if if these round table formats kind of work because it it's a lot because you're trying to hear and listen and decipher in this case it was what six different voices Mm -hmm. total yeah it's different yeah there was a lot of preparation that went into this one um 
you know, and it was mostly you and I freaking out about what do we ask first? Who do we talk to? How do, how do we keep people from not stepping on each other? Oh my God. What do we do? Like it was, we'd never done this. <laughs> so that yeah, was cool. Yeah. It was cool. And the technical aspect of getting five different zoom audios in and relatively at the same, same volume is occasionally on the tricky end of things, but were you working that slider pretty hard on the volume? You know what? Not as much as you would think. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I know I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the milk bowl is coming still. I feel like we said that last week when we talked about. Yeah, uh, we did. Putting putting a race car together with Al. And we still have. We still have another episode next week. Pre yeah. before. Before <laughs> milk. to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what but, would the milk bowl be without a rain out, though? Jesus. Or a snow out. Or a snow out. Happens way more often than not. Yep. Just but that's all right. I'm I'm pretty happy with it this year because that means that I can go for both days, and hopefully you can too, but at least we'll be together for at least one of those days. Yep. Um, you know, we're we're not totally thrashing on Al's race car. Now he's got some time to to put it together and make sure that it's safe and right and legal or not legal. I don't really care about that, but um, I think we'll be able to enjoy it now a little bit better. Yeah. And the overall milk bowl experience. We're looking forward to seeing some people while we're there. Yeah. We're going to have decals with us. Yeah. So if you happen to see us and you know what we look like, creepy. But you can come up to us, <laughs> and uh, we got. No, decals. we put that. We put that picture out of us with Russ Ingerson six months ago. So yeah, maybe somebody's that's true. Yeah. With your with your trophy, it's it's our trophy. It just lives with me. I have custody. Uh, but no, we'll have decals. We'll be in the pits. We're gonna bounce all over the place. Maybe schmooze. With some of our awesome, awesome sponsors who we might see. You know? And listen, if you're if you're if you're walking around, we want to we want to hear from you. We want to meet you and, and say thank you for listening too. So don't be afraid to come up and say howdy. Um, you know, we still sort of had this half cooked plan to do something at the milk bowl. I what? think. Uh, no. It's one of those rare times where our ideas have gotten less cooked as we've gotten closer. They've somehow yeah. got more raw. Yeah. <laughs> we've gone backwards. Uh, <laughs> how does that happen? I don't know. But, yeah. but yeah. Hey, so you talked about those decals that we're going to have. Who made those decals, Tom? Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. Where are they? Williamstown. Ooh, and who could I contact about getting my own d- wonderful decals? Well, Justin, I'm glad you asked. They are open by appointment. You can give them a call, 802-249-3763. If you don't want to talk on the phone, fully understand it. You can send an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. Gmail. You can look them up on Facebook at Paul Massetti. And that is M A S C I 
TTI. So <clears throat> last week, after we recorded, I went over to Paul's to pick up the decals for Al's Warrior. And I could have spent three hours just looking at all of the awesome stuff that Paul has in his garage and in his um, kind of his office where he does all the vinyl. Uh, my God, does that guy have a cool collection of stuff? And um, we talked about those retro doors. Yeah, I just um, saw a picture of his uh, his new Bobby Dragon. Yeah, God, he's got a Chuck Bound one and a, and a John Paul Cabana one that are hanging up in the garage. He's got the entire side of Joey LeCare Jr.'s 1990 Flying Tiger championship car. Um, it's a replica with an accurate body. It's the right body style that he did from fender to quarter panel all the way down roof, door, everything, every square inch um, he recreated. And you would swear up and down that it's the original um, just looks so cool. God, the family just attention. got that car back not too, too long ago, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And um, that was a French of the fountains auction um, after he passed. And the body that Paul made that replica with is from Frenchie's old late model. Um, so it's, it's really got some cool history behind it. Um, and it just, it looks spot on like the car looked in 1990 and right down to the, you know, the Bosch decal and the, the GM motorsport decal that was on all the tour cars that somehow they snuck one onto the flying tiger car. Um, really just pretty incredible. Um, and you know, obviously we were fans of the retro stuff, but we're also fans of the new stuff. And, um, if you need decals, um, if you need, a logo design for your business. Um, if you want just something, a nice sign or something for your house or, or whatever that says your family's name on it. Or, uh, if you have a business that you need, um, your, your fleet redone so that your dump trucks look good or your delivery car looks good or whatever. Um, Massetti brothers is the place to go. And I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy <laughs> when you stop down there to see the shop. Um, you're going to have a hard time leaving because it's pretty cool. And I must say it was pretty warm today and we're hitting a little stretch mm. of warm weather. Yeah. I think the next few days, maybe in the next week, but that should not deter you from getting ready for the cold weather. And mm -hmm. Justin, do you have maybe, maybe an idea who might be able to help get, yeah, get you ready for, for cold mm, weather? Let me see. It's on the hood of Al's race car. Oh, yeah, Pro Heat uh, in East Montpelier. Um, it's, that's MJ Massetti, Paul's brother, um, the brother in Massetti Brothers. Uh, Michael John Massetti um, is the man, and uh, Pro Heat has been in action for 19 years, um, since 2002. And MJ, is uh, he's been a professional in this whole deal for 30 years. So, like, that's a lifetime. Um, he's, he knows what he's talking about and, um, winter is just around the corner. I mean, it's October, uh, and it's time to, time to get ready because it's coming, whether you're ready or not. So you might as well be ready. Um, so MJ Massetti, um, in the Montpelier and Barry area, or if you're a little bit further East over towards Bradford, um, called Derek O'Donnell, 
Um, you can learn more on pro uh, about ProHeat on their Facebook page, ProHeat, that's it. Or you can call the East Montpelier office, 802-479-9330, and tell them that uh, Uncommon Deeds sent you to ProHeat to get ready for the winter. Now, without further ado, it is time for Justin to make today's introduction. Folks, we've got a special episode for you today, and it's... Uh, sort of come about because of the rain out, but we've got a couple extra weeks to prepare for the milk bowl. So we're going to bring in the experts. Uh, We've got four of them with you. And uh, first off, we'll introduce them all here. Alan Ward is a former crew member and sponsor on the highly successful teams of Lamoille Valley drivers, Eric Williams and Red Mead. He was a longtime weekly columnist for the racing paper. He's a former co-host of the VLF racing podcast, and he's best known as one of the top motorsport and railway photographers and photo archivists in the Northeast. His extensive collection provides us with most of the images used for the Uncommon Deeds and Crunch Bunch podcasts, which are available to you to browse online at bigalsphotos.smugmug.com. Joining us from Morrisville, Vermont, please welcome the 2015 Pete Hart Memorial Media Award winner, Alan Ward. Good evening, everyone. How are you, man? Awesome. It's good to have you with us, man. Great to be here. All right. TJ Angerson started, like most of us, as a fan in the grandstands before progressing as a crew member, working on several championship teams on dirt and asphalt. He was a winning driver at both White Mountain Motorsports Park and Thunder Road, and for seven years was the owner and editor of the Vermont Motorsports Magazine website. Joining us from Littleton, New Hampshire, please welcome the 2012 Pete Hart Memorial Media Award winner, TJ Angerson. Hey, Justin and Tom. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. Haven't seen you in two years. I know. I, it's been a it's been a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we randomly almost dropped by your house when we talked to Russ Ingerson. <laughs> it's true. He should have it. You could have hung out with uh, the the Daisy Beagle. Mm-hmm. The Daisy Beagle. <laughs> Tom Herzig is one of the Northeast's most prolific sports writers. He was a popular weekly motorsport columnist for the Barry Montpelier Times Argus. He has decades of experience covering horse racing and high school and college athletics. And he previously held media relations roles with Thunder Road, Airborne Speedway, the American Canadian Tour, and the Super Dirt Car Series. His father was a pioneering stock car racer in the 1950s in southern New Hampshire and Vermont. And in high school, Tom pitched to future Baseball Hall of Fame catcher Carlton Fisk. He is currently a columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader newspaper, and he plays one hell of a blues harmonica. Joining us from Brattleboro, Vermont, Tom Herzig. Hi, Justin. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I assume you're from Brattleboro that these days. That's what your Facebook. Well, I'm says. paying I'm paying uh, taxes to the town of Brattleboro, so I guess that that qualifies me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new homeowner down here in uh, Wyndham County, uh, about twelve miles from Monadnock Speedway, as it turns out. Well, that's all right. There's worse places to be. Ricky St. Clair is the former sports editor of the daily Plattsburgh Press Republican newspaper and has had countless front page bylines covering state and national high school and college championship events in hockey, football, and baseball, as well as hundreds of stock car races in New England and his home state of New York. He's a former writer for the Vermont Motorsports Magazine website. He graciously served as a test mule for this very Uncommon Deeds (laughs) podcast in its infancy and what he wants more than in this world is for a 300 lap open competition late model race at thunder road uh joining us from plattsburgh new york ricky st Clair. hey thanks so much for having me guys i'm excited to be here all right let's do this thing man we're off and rolling milk bowl preview show yeah we got the uh 
the extra couple weeks and Justin and I have talked about doing this type of thing since the beginning of our podcast, but we always assumed we would just wait and, uh, and do it in person and almost a year later. And we are not near being in person with everybody. So we're going to give the, uh, give the massive zoom chat a, uh, try and see how this comes out. We'll, uh, we'll start this off. Just what's everybody, everybody been up to Ricky, what are you doing? So I've been out of sports writing now for a couple of years. However, I'm, I'm still living in Plattsburgh, still working in Plattsburgh, still very much interested in not only local sports, but auto racing throughout here in, uh, in New York state, but throughout new England as well. Um, still certainly a big fan, uh, watching from afar and, and still involved. And I love it just as much as I did for, uh, the eight years that I spent working between Vermont Motorsports Magazine and uh, the Press Republican here in Plattsburgh. TJ, I feel like I've grown three tiny children since I've seen you last. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have. I've, I've seen him, seen him grow up. Yeah. Uh, most people may not know, but during my entire stint as VMM editor, I was uh, completing my undergraduate degree. Um, and since VMM ended, uh, in 2018, I have now chosen to go do my master's degree. So that's been keeping up uh, plenty of my time, going to a few races here and there. Um, and hopefully when the master's ends here, come in March, I can pick up a few more races. What are you mastering in? Information technology management. So uh, computers, you know, the, computers, computers, you know, the whole the whole Facebook uh, outage on Monday, that would have been under my realm. So. All right, so Alan, I know uh, you're at the track more than any of us, and that includes probably Justin. Yeah, I saw, oh, yeah. I saw Al's a couple of days ago. Yeah, ironically, I was counting how many races I'd been to this year just the other night, and I'm a little over 60. That's a slow year for you, then. It is. It is. You know, huh. Thunder Road weekly and Bear Ridge weekly as a photographer and anything else I can fit in. Not to mention all the... Uh, archiving of negatives uh my brother's been a big help in that we've got a uh, probably close to four thousand negatives that will be going up on my website here uh once racing season's over and i slow down a little i know what justin's doing in a little while <laughs> yeah and ricky <laughs> yep <laughs> and my tom i know i used to see you at the auditorium all the time for basketball I'd see you at usually horrendous Spalding football games when I was doing stuff for Carl, and I'd see you at Thunder Road. What is uh, what is your 2021 schedule look like? Well, in 2021, um, I'm still writing a weekly column, a racing short track column for the Manchester Union Leader, and as a result, I hopscotch around a bit from one track to another. I'm not at any one place on a regular basis anymore, but I, I, I get around a bit. Um, I'm nowhere near Alan's 60 races, though, I can tell you that, and uh, I don't think I feel sorry about that either. But um, I'm also been, uh, I, I'm, I'm in business with a close friend, uh, a close lifelong friend who's uh, has a large maple syrup operation. And so that's really my main squeeze these days is I'm out uh, uh, 
marketing maple syrup of a good share of the time. Plus, I got a couple of grandkids, so that speaks. That takes up a, plenty of time right there too. Zig, have you been able to do any live music? You're a you're a blues musician, as I mentioned in the open, and uh, I know that the pandemic probably put a halt to that for a while but are you back out on stage at all well i i am out a little bit but it's been very limited um there's i ran into one uh fellow when i moved back to brattleboro which is near where i grew up years and years ago um a very uh professional uh blues musician and i we we get around i i play harmonica with him a little bit but covid pretty much through the you know the off switch on to that um there's a little bit of open mic things around vermont is a little more open in some states but not a lot of that anymore not live so um yeah alan why don't you uh why don't you kick us off here and tell us how you remember motorsports coming into your life you're not going to believe it but the first uh motorsports event i remember i was still in a stroller I was probably two years old, and it was a little go-kart track that existed for only a year or two. Um, actually, it'd be behind what is Shaw's in Stowe now. Uh, McCulloch Chainsaw Engines were the hot ticket, and my father was a McCulloch Chainsaw dealer. And I remember it because uh, I think I ended up with a trophy. That it must have been I, given to you then, if you were two years old. Yeah. Or had a very that, fast stroller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That in, uh, you know, it's always been in my life because my father had also was a uh, automobile dealer and had numerous uh, drivers work for him, as in uh, Larry DeMeyer and a whole bunch of other, Boomer Cleveland, a you know, bunch of others. So it was always around. TJ? I mean, I've been around racing since uh, probably the womb. Um you know my my uh my father's father figure uh was um a Steigles. and uh i remember growing up at bear ridge at a very young age going to watch um mike Steigles uh race my dad uh, helped him and i remember that you know for much of my much of my youth uh, i remember one time getting lost at bear ridge um because i wanted to go see the the race car trailers pulling um and they had no idea where I was, but yeah, racing, racing's been around my life, in and around my life for forever. I f- I feel like the obvious question that probably you get a lot is, are you part of the Ingerson brothers family? I'm sure there's some relation there in the uh, White Mountain National Forest. You know, pick uh, pick which tree you want to start on and start branching out the family tree. There is, I, I'm sure there is some relation. I've never, uh, you know branched it out that far down, um, particularly because my, uh, my father's, uh, father is from that, uh, you know, Jefferson, uh, Whitefield area. Um, and so that's why I'm sure there's some relation, but never, I don't think it's very close a relation if there was one. I would just lie and say, yes, it looks good. Doesn't it? Yeah. Ricky. Racing for me, I mean, it starts with my dad. Um, he and his big family, they grew up um, over on the Goodspeed Road, which runs adjacent to Broderick Road, where Airborne Park Speedway is located here in Plattsburgh, New York. 
And uh, I think he and his family moved there and in 1959, I think he first started going, and I don't know if it was 59 or 60, but obviously it was it was early in Airborne's history. Um, and uh, I mean, I've been going. I remember the 1994 season very well. I was born in 1991, but I can still recall all the the big name drivers, all the big races, everything. I mean, I feel like kids growing up were watching like Barney on VHS tapes back in the early 90s. For me, it was Motorsports Magazine from Airborne with it was Barney the McCray. late Rick. Yeah, the late Rick Knowles and 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 Rob Knowles on on the call, and I watched it over and over and over. And I mean, even to this day, I I could sit down with Justin or or anybody really, and 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 memorize. Uh, I can I can remember all those big names and all the big races. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been around forever. Like I said, since that 1994 season, that's when it all began. And Tom Justin mentioned it when he introduced you that uh, your bloodlines run pretty deep in the in the stock car racing well i started like many tagging around you know behind my father who was a uh you know stereotypical backyard jalopy guy and i first went to i think the first stock car race i went to was uh <clears throat> at the cheshire fairgrounds in Keene, Keene, new hampshire and either that race or the one after it, the, one of the first races I ever saw was won by uh, Roy Forsyth. That's how old I am. Pappy Forsyth was, uh, was a young whippersnapper winning races at that point. Um, so that, you know, that, that was the connection. And, uh, you know, I had uh, toy cars in the driveway and, all of that sort of thing. And my father raced for five or six years, but, you know, we, we would regularly go to uh, Keene and then later on Claremont, which at the time was a dirt track, but that's, that's where I went to a lot of stock car races was Claremont Speedway. Uh, Zig, how did you get involved in, um, in sports writing and, and um, I think, I guess motorsports is obviously something that you've been familiar with your whole life, but um, how does, how does a kid who uh, had a father who was a stock car racer and, and has famous friends in the baseball world end up as a, as a motorsports writer? I was, I was working in Waterbury at one point, you know, in sort of a previous life, so to speak. Um, I was working for a, a little company in Waterbury that was, sold and closing down and was going to move out of town. And uh, I walked into WDEV one day and knocked on Ken Squire's door and said, what could I do to work? How could I work for you? What could I do for, you know, racing or the radio station? I was, you know, grasping at straws. And he looked at me like I had, you know, three heads and a tail when I first asked him the question, but, you know, soon after that, um, he had me trotting upstairs to the ACT office and, uh, you know, to get inspected and looked over by Tom Curley and I got hired, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I'm sure it was a wing and a prayer on their part, but I, I started cold. I had, I had no, uh, I mean, I was literate, but I had no, uh, journalist experience whatsoever. I started out getting sent into the pits at Thunder Road to come up with stories for a notebook. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was winging it from day one. 
sort of like the street stalkers out on the track for their first race, if you will, or whatever. But that's how I started. And, and, and I got into the sports, more of the sports part of it, because um, then I began bumping into Pete Hart and who had uh, become the sports editor at the Times Argus. And he asked me, what do you know about soccer? <laughs> so that's how that started. All I knew was that it was, you know, six letters, S-O-C-C-E-R. That's about all <laughs> I knew about it. But pretty soon, I, so I, I started other sports writing the same way I did uh, with racing was, you know, show up with a uh, notepad and a paper pencil. It's funny how everyone, at least in this area, I feel like, kind of gravitates to DEV and Ken Squire. And I had the same idea coming out of college. And my friend, late great Dave Morris, when I got mm. back from college, immediately offered to introduce me to Ken. And I had said something. I think I said, no, I'm sure I can get there. I'll work for it. And it took me like five, six years after that. And I tell people now, if someone offers to help, fucking take the help it took me a lot longer than if i'd probably just let let dave hook it up for me al i'm guessing that you knew dave morris pretty well too oh yeah uh, being from yes. up in that area yeah from my time uh when i actually coached uh basketball i did girls jv and mid-level for quite a number of years as well as boys uh little league and senior babe Ruth. So you, you kind of spread your wings as well. Mm -hmm. So then how, what's the trajectory to get to become one of the, you know, most popular uh, photographers of motorsports? If you're a basketball and baseball guy. A long, strange journey. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did quite a lot of photography in the early eighties uh, while I was working on uh, race cars and then, the race cars got in the way and I kind of dropped the camera and then I started uh, writing for Marco in the racing paper uh, after I saw some of his columnists and some of the crap that they spewed said to my wife if I couldn't write better than that with both hands tied behind my back and my eyes closed I'd give up and she regretfully to this day said well big shot try it. So I did, and then I picked the camera back up to augment the column, and away I went. You're talking to a room full of writers here, and I think every one of us just kind of was like, yep, I get that. <laughs> I can honestly say I've never written anything. Nah, you're all right. <laughs> Microphone is so much easier. Yeah. Uh, TJ, you, um, you are the only guy in the room and that includes myself who has been a successful race car driver. Um, how did you get from, you know, wide eyed kid in the grandstands to victory lane at, at two of the nicest racetracks in the Northeast? Probably by pure chance and luck uh, and calling in a, a favor or two. Um, you know, I started out racing behind the wheel at white mountain um, and that simply came about because uh, at the end of 2003, um, after my father and uh, Mike Stiles and uh, Chester Sproul uh, won three championships at White Mountain in a Super Street division, they were done racing, retired on top, and never went back. 
Um, so we sold uh, everything, um, car, not everything, but the the car, the two cars we had, and and then my father knew I had an itching to try it and win. Um, and the guy we sold it to was Mike Saint Ange, who had a um, who was had won a few races at White Mountain in the uh, four cylinder division, and he was like, "Hey, if uh, if we let your kid drive our car, would you come help us?" And so my father started helping them and I got, uh, got a race car to drive. So, and then, uh, we, we kind of went our separate ways and bought, um, uh, Eddie companions, old car from, uh, Patrick Underwood and then went, uh, went street stock racing at, at Thunder Road. You were still just a kid then at that point, weren't you? I mean, you were still a teenager. Yeah, I was, I was 16. Uh, when I started at White Mountain and um, had just barely turned 18. Or no, I was still 17 um, when I was racing at Thunder Road uh, in my first year at Street Stock. All right. You know, Ricky, we we covered this in the dark episodes. Twice. Of, <laughs> of Uncommon Deeds, which may or may not ever see the light of day. You're probably the only person that's recorded with us more than Brian Hoare. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned it, so we're going to have you retell it. How do you go from outside the fence at Airborne to just a couple years later being in Victory Lane doing interviews? Well, I I don't think this part of my story was actually covered when we uh, were running through some our test interview earlier this year, back in January or February or whenever that was. Um, as far as like sports writing is concerned or how I got into it, um, back when I was a sophomore in high school, I was playing football, basketball, baseball. During the fall of my sophomore year, I uh, sustained a pretty, pretty nasty back injury, put me out of commission, it ended my season. I used to play, um, I used to be like a pass catching tight end. I used to play, uh, I was a defensive end on, on the defensive side of the football. And um, writing was something that I was always passionate about. I always had an interest in. I feel like me personally, like I can convey what I'm thinking better on paper than by word of mouth, if that makes any sense. And um, it all started from there. When I was a junior and senior at Saranac Central here in town, um, I joined a sports writing club. I was writing for the school paper. I was covering high school football. That evolved to really graduating high school and um, really covering motorsports as no more or, than a blogger, really. And I, I think that's when when Justin kind of stumbled upon my work. Uh, I, I'm sure he has a story or two about that. Um, and uh, in 2011, I joined Justin and, and the, the gang with Vermont Motorsports Magazine. I think in that 2011 season, I think I covered 40 races. Um, and I was a junior at SUNY Plattsburgh during that time. The following year, I landed a gig at the press Republican, um, you know, I, I got an email from the then sports editor, Keith Kane. He said, Hey, um, your name's been kind of kicked around the newsroom here in town. And, uh, you know, we've heard nothing but good things about you. We know you're really enthusiastic about local sports and sports writing and, and, you know, everything journalism. And we'd like you to cover some high school and some semi-professional football on the weekends. And that freelance opportunity kind of blossomed into a full-time gig. I remember at, to be honest with you, I remember uh, the week I graduated from SUNY Plattsburgh in 2013. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to need this weekend off. I, c- I can't cover 
you know, um, you know, the, the baseball, the sectional championships going on. They're like, what's going on? I said, I have to graduate from college. And, uh, I came back on Monday, Monday afternoon and they said, Hey, you know, school is over. You're ours now, you know, and it, it turned into a 40 hour a week job. And <laughs> they I you. eventually, yeah, and they owned me. All right. Um, and it, I, I ended up working my, you know, up the ladder, if you will, into the sports editor's position. And it, obviously sports has always been such a big, it truly, um, something I'm really passionate about, something that brings me a lot of joy and, uh, motorsport like stick and ball sports motorsports is always been um it's always been a big interest of mine so that's as far as sports writing is concerned kind of how i got into the business and and my love of sports i mean it was it just it happened when i was a teenager so everything and everything ended up working out so as we move on to kind of why we're all here tom if i say to you milk bowl what does that mean well, uh, the milk bowl, right from the, uh, I, uh, my first, uh, interaction was with the milk bowl was going there as a fan, you know, I just happened to be brought there, um, at the milk bowl. And, you know, it took me a while to figure out what was different about it, but there was a lot of excitement. Um, the crowd was bigger than I had seen before. And so, the milk bowl was always um it always had a, a special aura about it from the time i first you know bumped into it so th- that's uh i think that would be my my answer to the question was that it was a uh it was a unique and special race and everybody uh from the competitors to the fans to the people putting it on were were we're getting a bigger kick out of it than, uh, than most races. And also it had, um, it had a lot of, uh, uh, sort of mojo to it from Ken Squire himself. I mean, I, I think, I think you can't understate, you know, in, in the different ways that Ken would, uh, seriously or not so seriously, uh, promote something. Um, he kind of had a Midas touch to that race and, so that's how I would answer is it was sort of special to me from, uh, you know, love at first sight kind of. And Alan, you have a unique perspective as you're in the infield every year, year after year, looking at the milk bowl through the lens. What is, uh, does it stand out as anything different than any other week you're shooting or can you feel, feel the difference? You can feel the uh, electricity in the air. And actually, though, you being in the infield, you miss out on a lot of the drama, a lot of the pageantry, and a lot of the uniqueness of it because you don't see it because you're inside, you're in the infield just watching cars go in circles. So you miss so much of the backstories. So I actually, the Milk Bowl was much more special to me before I picked up the camera. What was your first recollection of the milk bowl? What year or, or who won or, uh, hard luck Hannaford. Were you there for the first, first recollection? One? Yep. Wow. No kidding. And one of my favorite ones was, uh, 67 when Larry DeMeyer swept all three segments as he was working for my father at that time. They had a special deal. If he wrecked the car, he was allowed to not come to work until the car was repaired. 
how do how do I get that gig? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Al, I guess then I'll ask you this: when uh, if you were there for the first one, you saw Harold Hannaford win with four points, um, and you saw Larry Demar win with three points. Were you growing up thinking this is going to be a regular thing where everybody sweeps all the time? Because it's certainly not no, the case now. No, because really, I mean, Larry DeMeyer was the first one to win with three points, and then it didn't happen again until what? Dave Dion got it, uh, what, 10 years later? Yeah, 75, yeah. Or eight years later, something like that. So, no, I didn't think it was uh, going to be a regular thing. I do know that. Uh, I don't think anybody will ever win it with three points now because the cars are too equal. Well, that's a, that's a question that we had uh, penciled in for later in the show, but might as well ask it now. Um, TJ, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Can the, can the three point milk bowl win happen again? That's the last three years have been eight points, which is not that far off from a perfect sweep. And, and I think with a couple of different, cautions or situations it, it maybe could have happened where a driver wins two segments, whether it's Bobby Therian or Jason Corliss or whoever um, is the three point milk bowl, a thing of the past or can it, can it come back? I think it's a thing of the past, you know, kind of like Alan, the, the, the cars are very, very similar now. And you also have different strategies that play out, you know, when guys it's, it's an eight tire race, so it's when do guys take that, that those tires? You know, some guys do it in the second segment. Some guys do it now in the third segment. So if you get a, a guy that can charge up through the field in the second segment and win, you know, after winning the first, chances are that's when he used his good tires and he's going to have to do it again on older tires um, when you have other guys that are probably putting on new for, for that third segment. Ricky, have you ever been – at a milk bowl where you think, you know, this could happen. I'm not sure if you've been to the milk bowl in recent years or not, or I can't remember your last one, but um, there were certainly moments where it looked like, you know, in the second segment that Jason Corliss could do this um, and and win back-to-back segments. But have you ever truly thought that, you know, maybe we're going to see something historic here? As far as three points are concerned, no. Um, As a fan, I would love to see it done again. what a historic feat to, uh, to accomplish, especially at arguably one of the toughest short tracks in not only the Northeast, but across the country. Um, like TJ said, I, I think in this day and age, um, over the last 10 or 15 years or so, the, the cars are so equal. I mean, just, you know, a tenth of a second can separate, you know, or a tenth or, or two can separate the top 10 or 12 cars, it seems, um, you know, on the speed charts. And um, for as strong as, as some drivers like Jason Corliss comes to mind, um, it, it is incredibly difficult. I, it, it is, it is a certainly a tall task, um, or a tough task at that. Uh, but no, I, I would love to see it, uh, done again, but I, I, I just, I'm not sure if, if now is, is the time it, no, I, I don't think three points is possible right now. Zig, what's the most dominant performance that you recall seeing? Uh, that's a tough one. I, um, I guess I would have to say, um, I've seen both, um, Brian Hoare and Nick Sweet in, in individual milk bowls be, um, the best thing out there. Um, I don't know. 
um, and they won the Mill Bowl. I don't, I don't know beyond that. I, uh, I, I would, I would like to make the comment for for some reason. I'm not sure what my reasoning is, but a, a uh, unlike Ricky, uh, a, th- a three three segment sweep um, doesn't turn me on. I don't. I mean, I think it would really be a masterful achievement at this point, but it it isn't really it, it doesn't uh, ring my bell particularly. Um, I like to I like to have uh, four or five people in the hunt in the third segment with all sorts of shenanigans going on and uh, and everything hanging in the balance on every lap is more my idea of a red hot milk bowl, I guess. Alan, let me ask you, in your most unbiased answer possible, who is the best racer never to win the Milk Bowl, and why was it Pat Corbett? (laughs) (laughs) Beatty. I mean, he won three championships, and he never won the Milk Bowl. He always ran up front. He was the first name to come to mind. I mean, lots of others come to mind, too, like Jamie Fisher and Junior Hanley and a bunch of others, but uh, Beatty was so dominant those years, but he never really even came close to winning a milk. That's a good answer. He really never did. TJ, who pops in your mind? Uh, The one that first popped into my mind was Joey LeCare. You know, one of the all-time winningest drivers at Thunder Road, you know, um, in the top top 10 of both in the current generation, late model and flying tiger wins, you know, and has won – you know, numerous races, new and some big races at Thunder Road, and has never really done anything in the Milk Bowl. You look at segment wins, and you look at overall wins, and he shut out. You know that that's the name that that first popped to my mind. Ricky, what do you think? You know, I'd have to agree with Al. Chuck Beatty is another, uh, certainly one of the first names that came to my mind. Um, as far as late model racing is concerned, back in the '90s, I mean, and beyond, obviously. Um, he was always so stout at Thunder Road and a perennial favorite and always a front runner and a championship winning driver. And for whatever reason, when October rolled around and uh, those guys had 350 lap segments in front of them, he just was unable to get it done. So yeah, Chuck Beatty in that number 54 car for sure. Justin, maybe while when we asked Tom this, you can look up, see when what Chuck's best finish at the Milk Bowl was. Tom, who... Uh, who do you wish had gotten there? Uh, well, I think uh, I've got, I could, I could name several, but uh, I guess I'd name Tracy Bellrose as one. Um, if I remember correctly, she lost by a tiebreaker um, in one of the best note bowls ever. And uh, that certainly has to keep you up at night. And it would have been a, a marvelous story as well to write about um it was phil scott that beat her and i don't really remember the specifics of the race except that it, I, I remember scott gaining spots gaining spots as the uh, third segment went on and it started to become apparent that um he could win the whole thing I don't even really remember the numbers, but I know that it was a, it was as uh, close as you could come to winning without winning it. So I guess I would name her. And also, uh, I remember one year when Pete Fecto won two of the three segments and still couldn't win the 
<clears throat> the milk bowl, and uh, he was shaking his head afterwards. I think he won the first segment, got wrecked in the second segment, maybe, yeah. and finished yeah. just about last. And so he got to start on the pole of the third segment, and he was a very fast car that day, and he, you know, walked away with the third segment, and it didn't get him anywhere. <laughs> and he was another, like, to a, to a degree, he was another fellow like Joey LeCare that was often in the thick of it at Thunder Road, but never really, never really got too close except for that one time uh, to winning the milk ball, as I remember. Uh, you mentioned Tracy Belrose and just uh, last weekend during the rain, she was on Facebook posting videos of the 2000 milk bowl that she lost in a tiebreaker. To Bill Scott. So <laughs> I, keeping her, yeah. keeping herself up yeah. at night is absolutely accurate. I would, I would think yeah. um, I would yeah. posit Derek O'Donnell as a guy who probably should have won this race by now. Mm-hmm. And, and he could this week or next weekend. Like I said, when we talked to Tracy, it does still keep her up. And she okay. said it was the only race she would probably come out of retirement for is to try to win the milk bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, maybe you answered the, the question for yourself already. Maybe you didn't, um, but we'll put this out to everybody. What is the greatest milk bowl that you recall seeing? Maybe you don't have specifics, but um, you know, I, I would think that the one that you just mentioned in 2000 was, well, that was, that, was, that, that was an under, unforgettable, I mean, greatest. I mean, I don't know. There's there's different ways to, to view that. Well, I was thinking about that I, just before we came on the air here. I saw your uh, the outline of some of the things we were going to talk about. And when you, uh, when you say, uh, well, what was the greatest milk bowl, the, the thing that pops into my mind is Patrick LaPearl, Patrick LaPearl, Patrick mm-hmm. LaPearl. Yeah. Um, not that he necessarily won them all or was an angel in each one or, or whatever, but he was, he managed to be a central figure in numerous smoke bowls. And, uh, and there was a thrill or an excitement or an exasperation factor that he added to, uh, many milk bowls. So I'd, I'd give him a plug when I asked that question. TJ, what do you think? your your fondest milk bowl memory or the greatest one that you've seen i mean there's there's a few that that pop into my head um you know the one a few years ago with uh corliss and bobby therian pops you know is one that ranks right up there but i think the best one that i've ever witnessed uh was 2015 with nick sweet and Derek o'donnell you know sweet coming uh from five points back in the final segment on top of the entire storyline of those three of those two over the past three years um and o'donnell stepping away going to north carolina and that was that was nick sweet's chance to beat him and uh you i don't think i've ever heard thunder road that loud and i think that made the moment the whole story made the moment and that's why i think it's it's 2015 oh man tj stole my thunder right there i was gonna say 2015 as well um justin earlier today i was looking at uh your story from the Burlington Free Press from 2015. And I was just reading through some of the quotes from the late and great Tom Curley. And um, he had, he had at that time in 2015, he had, he had said he had seen 38 of the 52 of them that had been contested at the track. And he had referred to it as like one of the best he had ever seen. And he referred to that 2015 milk bowl as like a a Cracker Jack milk bowl. And, um, you know, your commentary had talked a little bit about it being like a game seven type comeback. And 
how, you know, for Nick Sweet being the king of Barry, that was really a point in time when his popularity had just about eclipsed that of Dave Dion's at Thunder Road or had, you know, drawn even with Dave Dion in terms of popularity there at the track. And uh, that that was a special day. And uh, it was very much like a game seven comeback. Like TJ said, down five points after segment number two. He rallied in those final 50 laps to come all the way back and, and get it done. And it was certainly memorable. Wow. Well, that makes three of us. For current day, that is mine. And uh, part of the reason is Ken Squire did such a great job of playing up the Black Knight of the White Mountains when he's yes. actually from Bradford. <laughs> yeah. And But that's the modern day. You go back to the older ones. To me, I don't know why, but 1971 stands out. John Rosati gets the pole. John Rosati kills him in the first segment. John Rosati's leading by half a lap in the second segment and blows a head gasket. Yeah. Repairs it, come back, starts the third segment. About half, he's running away again. About halfway through, he blows a head gasket again. And the unheralded Danny Bridges takes the win. No question, by far, the biggest win of his career. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there are some that I've read about that I haven't attended, you know, obviously I wasn't alive for the Butch Lindley win, but um, well, that, that one was awesome. Also in 77, um, I, as I understand it, that was, uh, you know, even with Butch Lindley being the best late model driver in the country um, coming in with Dick McCabe's car that year. And, and it was kind of an upset. Yeah, it was because most people in the area knew nothing about Butch Lindley. And he wasn't the guy to, to he wasn't leading the race either. It was uh, Landis Caron. Right. I, I don't remember what year it was, but it was the year that Claude Leclerc and Ralph Nason went at it. And I don't remember who took out who. I think Leclerc took out Nason a couple of times in the first segment. The second segment, Nason took out Leclerc and Curly immediately tossed him off the premises. Well, Andy and I followed him off the premises, went to Devil's Bowl, pulled into the parking lot as we saw Gardner Stone flip above the grandstands. That's my most memorable milk bowl. That's a good day. And my most memorable weekly show also involves a wreck. And was it Airborne? 1983 or 84? Charlie Wilbur and Ed Champagne side by side for lots of laps for the lead. They touched wheels coming out of four. Champagne hit that little dip in the wall that used to be there. Coming out of four, catapulted down the front stretch fence and took the flagman out. Don Thomas, it was. He yep. landed on the track, somehow had the wherewithal to stand up and wave the checkered flag to the rest of the field, and everybody missed him. Don the next Thomas. week he wasn't on the flag stand. He was in a race car. Yep. And he, uh, he dropped out of a heart attack after racing at Dulles Bowl, uh, yep. like two years later. Yeah. Yep. Let me ask you, Al, are Milk Bowl, do you see an uptake in terms of people who want pictures from the Milk Bowl as opposed to whatever random Thursday night or a Sunday night ACT race? No, not at all. Because believe it or not, and I think most of you guys would believe this, I sell a lot more photos. The lower the division, the more photos I sell. Yeah. 
Now, as far as getting things published in various media outlets, yeah, you get a lot more stuff published from the milk bowl than you do a typical Thursday night race. But uh, as far as selling stuff, it's all about the support division. Yeah, pumping pumping DVDs for Carl Parton. We would linger in the street sock area because those gut boys would scrounge up $10 to get the DVD of their eighth place finish in the street stock feature from the week before. Yeah, absolutely. What? This is a weird question, but I'll start with TJ. When you think of the cow, you have arguably one of the most prestigious races in definitely in new England. And you can argue, you know, elsewhere to have it end with literally lip locking with a cow. What, what is that? What does that mean? I mean, I think anyone that grew up at Thunder Road uh, and watched people do it and then inspired to race. I, I mean, I know for me, when you're, when you're thinking about it, that's what you want to do. You know, you know, you want to, you, you envision yourself someday potentially doing that because you grew up at Thunder Road because, you know, it is the biggest race of the year at Thunder Road. You know, they have a, they have a big granite monument for a reason for it. Um, so even though it, it does seem odd to people probably not, uh, accustomed to you know just even the dairy industry in in vermont and and new england um just growing up and doing that yeah it's like yeah i i want to do that i i hope i can do that i wasn't good enough to do that (laughs) if if you were to get that opportunity are you more of like a Dwayne lanfear or Maybe like a Jason like a, Corliss. Or like an Eddie McDonald where you don't even really kiss it. Oh, no, it, it wouldn't be Eddie. That was the one that came to my mind. I was like, it wouldn't be Eddie. It would, I I wouldn't have tongue like Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it would it would be, you know, closer to Corliss the past couple of years. You know, he's he's gotten probably a little sweet with it. Zig, being from, uh, you know, not <laughs> not necessarily this part of Vermont, uh, you had to have come up to Thunder Road that first milk bowl and, and said, you know, what in the hell is this in victory lane? Well, I got a kick out of it. That's for sure. But I, I, I thought, I've always thought that, uh, maybe it's just, you know, in my own, uh, mind only, but I, I thought that it was, uh, part of what the, uh, out with the cow in victory lane was let's not all let's not take all of this all that seriously we're we're here to have a good time and uh you know there's uh that that's part of what it represented to me was you know congratulations you won you did a great job but was sort of the you know that i mean was Ken Squire not grinning with every step that the cow took towards victory lane? I mean, that's, oh, that's, part, that's part of the way that I see it. And I also remember just that it isn't quite what you asked me, but I, I certainly remember, I'm trying to think of who the first person was, but uh, all the different uh, racers that very cleverly placed their hand over the cow's nose and then kissed their hand. I mean, that's been going on for 
since the milk bowls started, I think. Yeah. So it's, uh, the, the ones that kind of just step up there and smack her is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm more for that, basically. Yeah, they've been getting into it the last few years. Um, Brian Hoare really gave her a run, and yeah. Corliss is coming up with different. He's like keeping chapstick in his pocket, and <laughs> guys, they're they're really starting to ham it up down there. And and I I think you're right that um, he'll, he'll, he'll is perfect. That's <laughs> that's that's Thunder Road. Um, yeah. And my favorite cow memory was when Joey Pole won it. And he said, hey, dad, come on over and kiss this cow. And just as he lip locked her, she took a big old crap right in victory lane. Uh, that was that was pretty good. But I remember in my uh, PR days looking it up at one point, oftentimes, I, I don't know how it's gone lately, but oftentimes it was a, a, a middle-aged Guernsey was the milk bowl queen. And uh, I remember looking it up so I could throw it in there in my, you know, zeal for the whole thing was that they they weigh about 1400 pounds on average so you could write about the milk bowl queen you know standing x number of feet tall and weighing 1400 pounds that yeah. usually went over pretty good at least yeah. with the sports yeah. editors it did one of my crowning achievements was getting to interview annie burke at the harvest hills farm in berlin uh pre-milk bowl one year and um yeah, it it's it definitely takes people by surprise when that's what you announce. And to I will I wanted to bring this up anyway, but you documenting the names of the cows during your stint as the PR guy at Thunder Road um inspired me to begin keeping a list through the years uh-huh. and at some point I placed that list and I've started to rebuild it, but uh Dickens was the queen for 4 years and that's she's she's got the longest <laughs> reign. Now, Al, you got the uh the unique perspective because that moment for lack of a better term is kind of your money shot for the, for the weekend is that picture. Yes, it is absolutely the money shot. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been as much media there lately in the last few years. So it's not, hasn't been too hard to get in position to be able to get the money shot. But there were a few years there where guys were, you know, it was brutal. You were getting elbowed out of the way, and and all these guys that would come in once a year thought that uh, they were going to get one up on you and get the money shot and so on. So that's why they have the chain and all that stuff around now because of uh, outsiders that were less than polite. And that was just Justin and TJ. <laughs> We got thrown out when uh, Victory Lane one year for staging a, a put up your Dukes photo with O'Donnell and oh, Sweet. I remember that. That was O'Donnell <laughs> yeah. and Sweet. And yeah. and yeah, we were staging that. And Tina, oh, was she not happy? Oh, not happy. <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> but is she ever really? Oh, come on. She's going to listen to this. No. She was very um, nice to us up in the tower. She's been great. She's been great. Hey, everybody, before we get to our next question, let's take a little pause for the cause. Today's podcast is brought to you by Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. All the logos for Uncommon Deeds, that was Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Those sweet, sweet, sweet decals we've sent out to our listeners, Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Established in 2005, they do logo design. 
consultations, office, truck, motorsports, you name it, they can do it. They had over 30 teams using their stuff this season. They're open by appointment in Williamstown. You can give them a call, 802-249-3763. You can send them an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. You can find them on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's Massetti, M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering, designed to win. This episode of Uncommon Deeds is presented in part by ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont. Established in 2002, ProHeat is now 19 years strong, and founder Michael John Massetti has 30 years' experience as a full-time heating technician. So they're here for the long haul. Winter is coming, so it's time to start thinking about your heating and hot water needs. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service, whether it's water heaters, gas, oil, electric, or hybrid, they got you covered. Furnaces, oil tanks, cold climate heat pumps, Vernice space heaters, Boilers, gas, and oil, they can do it for you. In central Vermont, call MJ Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. In the Bradford or Groton area, you can call Derek O'Donnell, yep, that guy, at 802-238-3848. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office, 802-479-9330. Professional, reliable, on-time, ProHeat. Now, let's go back to the show. So let's move into the... The, the now, the present. Who is who's going to win this thing this year? And it's sort of a three parter. Will Jason Corliss win it? If he doesn't, how does he lose it? And who could possibly beat him? Um, let's start with Ricky. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not a huge golf fan, but I can certainly respect. Uh, we were talking earlier about big time feats or accomplishments. And when Tiger Woods performance wise, when he was at his best winning major championships, it was Tiger versus the field. And I feel like as far as 2021 is concerned over at Thunder Road, it's Jason Corliss versus the field. Um, It's obviously possible that someone could rise to the occasion and knock him off, but it's it's not only going to take a special team, but I think it's going to take a little bit of luck as well. Um, But he is the guy. Um, he is the man to be at Thunder Road right now. And um, if I were a betting man, which I, I can't say I am, I'd, uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to bet on Jason Corliss in that 66 Vermont car. Now, Tom, before you give us our answer, and you kind of hit on it a little earlier, do you think dominance is good for Thunder Road or for the local racing? Well, I... I'll hedge my answer a little. I think you have to have a dominant car or two as the person to beat, however they get in that spot, whether they're just uh, 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 reprehensible or they're highly skilled or they're the local favorite or whatever. A good share of the crowd at a a stock car event, in my opinion, is there um, hoping to see uh, so-and-so get beat as much as they're doing anything else. Um, other than that, um, I, I'm not sure how, to, I, I don't, I, I personally don't like the dominance. I, I, I when you're, you're going to ask, uh, I'm jumping the gun, but you're going to ask later, uh, who you might like to see win the milk bowl. And, and it's not that I have a 
personal favorite or personal relationship with with any of the drivers nowadays but i'd like to see somebody who's uh uh at thunder road every week year after year slugging away and is a competent racer and hasn't won a whole lot and i'd like to see them win the milk bowl i don't really need to see somebody win all three segments or um uh so that's how i'd say it if i've answered your question if not you can restate it and i'll try it again well al al you're there every week um let's let's build on that i mean do you i think everybody sort of agrees at least right now that the three-point milk bowl isn't going to happen but it seems like if it was to happen it would be jason corliss and you're the guy catching all the booze in the infield when he's getting out of victory lane and people are getting tired of it um, increasingly. Oh, definitely are tired of it. But is that a good, is that a good thing for Thunder Road? They hated Derek O'Donnell, I think for different reasons. Um, but now they're starting to turn on Jason Corliss. And is, is it a good thing to have um, somebody to root against? Absolutely. Think of Dwayne Lamphere. Think of Russ well, Ingerson. He, he was not well liked either for the most part. Right. Uh, you definitely need a bad boy, so to speak, whether it's from winning too much or being over aggressive. And that leads me to uh, Jason Corliss is the odds on favorite, but, uh, you know, really lurking in the shadows is Derek O'Donnell. As long he, he just gets too over aggressive, he needs to be patiently aggressive rather than over aggressive. And I think him and Chris Pelkey would be Corliss's biggest threats. Brooks Clark always runs under the radar. He's there. He just somehow is always there. I might be misremembering this, Justin, but when we talked to Derek, did he say he would give up one of his track championships for a milk bowl? Absolutely. Um, TJ, let's let's go with you. And, and Al just mentioned Brooks Clark. Why is nobody talking about Brooks Clark? He is, I mean, he's as good or better. Clearly, he beat Jason Corliss twice this year in long distance events, but those are long distance events and the milk bowl is three shorter events. Um, why is nobody giving Brooks Clark the credit that he deserves and keep in mind that he finished second two years ago and third, three years ago in the milk bowl. Can he get it done? I think he absolutely can get it done. I think the, one of the main reasons why no one's talking about him is it's an out of sight, out of mind type deal. You know, you don't re- you don't look at um, on a milk bowl stage. You're you do have your invaders or your part timers, but most of the center stage is is on the local guys or you know the Brian Horrors who are extremely dominant. You know, you know Brooks Clark runs what a handful of races now this year or every year now, um, and doing so has probably increased you know his program quite a bit it's taken it to a, to a next jump, next level. And it's shown he's won. He's won recently, won some big races recently at Thunder road. And like you said, finished second and third, not too long ago, but unfortunately who remembers second and third in the multiple it's all placed around the winner. There's no prestige. There's no notoriety in those who finished second and third. And even though he has done that, it's again, you're not there. You're not seen you kind of forget about who finished second and third. So he's won. He's won the big races this year. Um, but because, A, he probably doesn't race every week. He's out of sight. And, two, 
even when he does do well, like you said, in those milk bowls, they don't celebrate second and third. TJ, I'll stick with you for a second here. Can can an outsider winner, can can DJ Shaw win the race? I think if any year is the year, this would be the year. Um, I think there's a lot of, obviously Jason Corliss is the odds on favor, but there's a lot of uncertainty who is his chief rival. I think, you know, Al mentioned it was Eric O'Donnell, um, but I think the door is there. You know, DJ Shaw's run really well on the, the American Canadian Tour this year has run, you know, really well in his own car in, in the past series, as always. Um, and again, Thunder Road's a track, the more laps you run, the more familiarized you get with it. And I think, you know, being up front um, with ACT is no fluke. And the more familiarity you get with those cars, um, something a little different, but um, you can hit on something. And, and if because I think there's so much unfamiliarity um, after Corliss, who could be that next guy up? I think absolutely, absolutely, DJ Shaw could be a could be a threat. Ricky, similar to what Justin said with Brooks Clark, why doesn't anyone give the love to Chris Pelkey after the year he just had? Um, it's not the sexy pick, I guess. Um. Chris Pelkey, to me, I, I apologize. I love all sports from motorsports to stick in ball sports, but it's like in the NCAA men's or women's basketball tournament when there's a team seated, you know, fifth or sixth in a 16 team region that makes it all the way to the final four or makes a, a serious run at winning the whole dang thing. Um, he is certainly a dark horse in a way. Um, as far as what he's accomplished in, in his late model career, it doesn't necessarily stack up to that of Jason Corliss just yet. He, he has been certainly a front runner and uh, he has been Jason Corliss's biggest competition, but he has that one last hill to climb. And that is to try and knock off Corliss um, on a big stage here coming up in a couple of weeks. Al with you mentioned the booze starting to come for Corliss for people who want to see other people win. Did you notice a shift for Chris Pelkey where the fans really starting to get behind him towards the end of the year? Absolutely. After the little incident where he uh, ended up in the wall through no fault of his own, uh, he became almost a crowd favorite. And, uh, this is kind of changing the subject, but one of the reasons I think Chris Pelkey is doing so well this year is the fact that he ran the entire ACT tour last year and yes. gained tons of experience from that. Yeah. And it has definitely transferred to Thunder Road. If you watch him run at Thunder Road this year, he is so smooth compared to what he used to be that it's not even funny. I, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. He was a, um, he came out of the Tigers where you have to thrash every lap. Um, and he never really hit that stride in the late model until you were a hundred percent correct. He went on the road. I would, I would say that the guys that we've mentioned here, DJ Shaw and Christopher Pelkey and Brooks Clark are certainly contenders. Um, but it seems that there's some interest coming in from former winners and guys that we haven't thought much about in the last few years or guys that are running part-time. Um, Zig, Joey Polowarczyk and John Donahue are on the entry list. Um, 
Do you think that they could make a, a Cinderella run not having been in late too much? And John Donahue was racing weekly this year at White Mountain, but um, do you think that they could they could make a run here sort of from the back 40? Well, I, I certainly think um, uh, Joey Pohl is more than capable of doing that um, without a doubt. But I, I know there's been a couple of races this year where he's had the choice of going to an ACT race or a, a Granite State Pro Stock race, or he's had a choice at times of running, running the super late model or his late model car, and he's chosen the he's chosen the super late model or the pro stock every time. And I think that's indicative of that. Um, They've got that car working better than the, than the late model car, I think is why they're choosing it. But I think Joey Pohl could, could win anywhere. Um, I haven't, I don't know what John Donahue would, you know, I don't know the, what he'd be strapping into. So I don't know how to answer that question, but I, you could, get me up to speed a little more and is it is it already known for sure that uh that nick sweet won't be in the milk bowl is that has that been established that he's not going to be in it one way or the other i don't believe that there's a plan for nick sweet to be racing um he was ill um for a a good part of the the summer um Uh and he's also been very busy with uh eric chase's team and uh connor martell's team and I don't think that he's got a car ready. I think he ran once at Oxford maybe with his own equipment, but I don't believe that he plans. Well, to I say it in part, I mentioned him not to cheerlead for him particularly, but I, I saw him in a race at white mountain this year, one of the ACT type races that I saw and he had it going on pretty good there. He, he, he was giving Corliss and DJ Shaw all the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, in fact, they got to, uh, <clears throat> you know, there was a, uh, a three wide entry into turn three at the near the close of the race with about a two and a half car width and three cars headed for the hole. <clears throat> and that was the end of sweet on that one. But he, he looked like he could very well have won that race. And uh, so that's why I bring him up. I just wondered that if he might uh, show up at the last minute or some such thing. That's a good transition into one of the topics that we had floated out to you guys um, before the show here. We know being Thunder Road lifers um, that the Milk Bowl is um, the most prestigious event around um, in this neck of the woods. Um, is it still, has it, has it lost any pizzazz? It, you know, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here, but it sounds like the car count may not be a record setter this year. Um, in fact, I'm sure that it won't be. Um, and with guys like Nick Sweet, you know, really unknowns or, or, or they're not they're not coming at all. Patrick LaPearl can't get across the border because of uh, the restrictions right now. But um, there's not necessarily a ton of star power coming in. Um, does that? Hmm, forgive me. Does that hurt the credibility of the race? Um, let's start with Al. I don't think it hurts the credibility of it. Everything ebb and flows. Uh, look at the Oxford 250. It's had ebbs and flows, and it still hasn't lost its luster. And it's you know the Milk Bowl is still the Milk Bowl. It's a unique event. It always draws some outsiders. I mean, I remember back in the early 70s. Sometimes 
the full field was 18 and they had no alternates. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you say the car count isn't going to be great. Well, 23 cars practiced last uh, Friday, which means to me that they will probably have somewhere around 28 to 30 cars. You look at the big Southern late model races uh, that are, you know, nationally known races that uh, arguably better known nationwide than the milk bowl. Some of their fields are getting less than 20 cars. So I don't think it's lost, lost its luster. Does it have the star power right now? No, but everything goes in cycles. TJ, uh, Bubba Pollard was at the milk bowl just a couple of years ago. Um, it's not that the race is unknown, um, but why is it that we're not getting Ty Majeski? And I think I already know the answer, but you know, in your opinion, why, why aren't these deals coming together? I think because they're, the car is too dissimilar to what the big name drivers are, whether you look at it as a, you know, a time of Jeske, you know, Bubba Pollard, Steven Nassi, you know, they're not super late models. Or if you're looking in the mid Atlantic region with Deke McCaskill, Peyton Sellers, they're not late model stock cars. You know, they're, they're their own type of breed of race car. And, you know, guys want to race what they're familiar with. Um, you know, it's why Bubba Pollard comes to the Oxford 250. You know, it's, yeah, it's not a true super late model, but it's what he runs familiarity wise, you know, with, you know, on occasion at five flags or uh, with a pro late model. You know, I think a lot of it is the familiarity with the, with the, with the car type. Um, and I think that it's a very niche um, area of stock car racing. Um and I think that's why you, you, we probably don't see uh, a lot of outsiders like that come in uh, with the big name notoriety, because it does take because it does take a, a top team to set aside themselves um, their own plan to try to win. You know, look at you know when Bubba Pollard came, you had to, you know Joey Polarsic um, put that car together for them. You know, and, and then this past year with Ryan Priest coming to Thunder Road, you know, that was, that was a Dale Shaw deal. And if Dale Shaw's that, if that's Dale Shaw's primary focus, you know, who, who's getting the short end of that stick. So I think a lot of that is to win the milk bowl for them. They're taking away focus from someone else. Would a change to pass or similar rules make a difference? I think there's a potential to make them, a little more similar, not saying you have to go full, full super late model, full pro late model type rules, but I think there is a way to potentially get away from this corner of the market uh, and be closer aligned to open yourself up to some more cars. Absolutely. Now, what does that take? You know, that's, I've been out of it for three years now, so I don't know how much dissimilar they are, how similar they are. I mean, there's still pretty large. There's still a fairly large gap between the two car types, um, but that's uh, it's hard to change at this point. I think, though, that big of a jump. Uh, I'm going to ask this question to both Tom and Ricky, um, and I will start with Tom um, because you sort of hit on it a little bit earlier. Do you want the outsiders to come in? Uh, you were talking about how you would like to see a, a Thunder Road Thursday night guy kiss the cow in victory lane. Do you, do you care if there's a Bubba Pollard or if there's a time of or if there's whoever? Uh, it does. 
the, the real um, top national names, marquee names that are in the uh, national publications and, you know, on the websites all the time, uh, I suppose that would attract some more people. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally, I'm, I'm not as interested in that. What I'd like to see is more people um, who have a, uh, you know, a, a working late model in the garage show up that day. I think there's plenty of people like that, that, um, you know, uh, that aren't coming in. I, I've always wondered if some of it was not, didn't have to do with just the fact that um, you don't just, uh, you don't come in from somewhere else and just jump onto Thunder Road and start zipping around and passing people all over the places. You've got the, you've got to have some uh, sort of inside information, if you will, or you have to have some degree of either direct experience or somebody telling, spelling it right out, what you need to do at Thunder Road. You can't just pop into the place. Um, I don't think the marquee names um, do it that much for me, but um, I think if you had, if you had some, uh, some of the people that uh, have raced late models for instance this year at thompson or seekonk or wherever if you had a few of them show up i think that does you know add to the uh, excitement or prestige of the uh, event i would say that is it a good thing that we can have someone like a stephen martin who's never been in a late model make his debut and be able to just kind of make the field outright for the milk bowl you know, um, a big name, one of that from like the NASCAR circuit, circuit, it certainly might sell more tickets, but like Tom said, I don't think it would get me any more excited. The Milk Bowl is, it really sells itself. Um, I know Al mentioned that a moment ago. I do agree. The pageantry, the history, the uniqueness, the tradition, the names from, you know, Hard Luck Hannaford to Brian Hoare to Robbie Crouch, um, that's what makes the day so special. Um, I mean, you go way back into the archives and it's always been referred to as the Vermont Milk Bowl. Um, as far as short track racing is concerned in New England, I think the biggest race uh, to attend is the Oxford 250. And as far as the Northeastern Corridor is, is concerned, I'd have to say Super Dirt Week over at Oswego. I mean, $50,000 to win. That's before, you know, any sort of lap leader bonus money, et cetera. Um, that's certainly a big one. It's a big, it's a week long event, but the Milk Bowl is Vermont through and through. And, um, no, I, I, I think, um, the hometown heroes, the regional stars, they, uh, it, they make, it makes for just as an exciting race with those guys than it would, um, you know, with any big name drivers from, from out of town. Um, and that again leads into another question that we had posed to you guys before, um, before this started, um, giving you a little bit of time to think about it. And, uh, Zig, I know that you have to mosey off here in a little bit so we're gonna ask you first in terms of prestige nationwide um where does the milk bowl stack up and i know that i rambled on with a big list of uh events that i that i sent out to you guys but you think of the king's royal or the dream at eldora you think of the knoxville nationals the snowball derby at um pensacola super dirt week like ricky just uh, mentioned which is happening as we speak um, out at Oswego, 
um, the Oxford 250, the World Series at New Smyrna, the World Series at Thompson, uh, Winchester, Martinsville, and it goes on and on. There are all kinds of major events that every short track fan has heard of, whether they'll ever get to them or not, whether they care if it's dirt or asphalt or not. Um, you know, the RPM promoters workshops every year uh, names one event, the outstanding short track event of the year. And the Milk Bowl has won that, that award, which think about a thousand racetracks and however many events each one of them have, that's a it's pretty high cotton. Where does the Milk Bowl stack up? And uh, Tom, go ahead first. Well, I think, I think uh, within the, the racing community itself, and in us media types and the like, I think the Milk Bowl has a lot of prestige and well-deserved. I mean, it was Chris Economaki, I think, that was the one that named it the short track event of the year or some such thing. Um, and, and I think uh, that the, uh, the history, the, the tradition, Ken Squire, Tom Curley, and the rest um, lends prestige to it a lot. Um, I think on a national scale, I think it's, it's, you know, you would be kidding yourself to think that it was a, uh, you know, a well-known and held in high regard, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's quite the case. Um, but as, as far as prestige events, I, one way I know to try to answer the question is I, you know, I, I saw that you were going to ask it and I asked a few of my other, you know, racing lifers and some of my other sidekicks and whatever, what, what they would say. And uh, they certainly all knew, and most of them had attended more than one milk bowl, but super dirt week is really a, is a, in this part of the country is a major deal in my opinion. Um, uh, And partly because it, 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 as it used to do anyway, it used to go from satellite track to satellite track. It was a whole week. It was, it was, you know, it's, it's a little different now, but Super Dirt Week is, was very prestigious. And the types of races that Kyle Larson is showing up to and winning on the national level, which would be Eldora and Knoxville and the like, those, those are on the tip of everybody's tongue in my neck of the woods. Now, they're all dirt, I guess, mostly. But, uh, and it used to be that the Stafford Springs Sizzler was another Another one, I, th- I think that that's kind of waned a bit. Um, I, I, you know, I think there's, we're not overhyping the, the milk bowl in any way in, in New England and the Northeast, but I don't think it has a national scope, really. Al, how do you feel about that? I feel a lot uh, like Tom does. It is a great regional event. Dirt is the big thing in the United States now overall. So all these prestigious events that are dirt seem to be uh, taking over overall. And you've also got to remember the Milk Bowl is a one-day event. Most of these other prestigious events like the Boone Super Nationals, the Chili Bowl, um, the Kings Royal, Nashville, Knoxville, the Dream, you know, all those, they are multiple day, usually a whole week event, just like Super Dirt Week. So you can't really, it's like comparing apples and oranges and grapes because Thunder Road is paved. So you really have to put it in a category with paved tracks on the East Coast. And for that, yes, it's one of the, uh, I don't think it's as prestigious as the Oxford 250, 
but it is still a major event. But it pales in comparison to say the Chili Bowl. Yeah, boy, and I can't believe I forgot the Chili Bowl on that list. That's that's number one. It should be. Um, and now, um, we will shift to the younger generation here in this in this chat. Um, all apologies to you two guys, but uh, TJ, you know, as a as a I guess you're a millennial. I guess we're all millennials here. Uh, how how does it compare um, to any of the races that we've mentioned um, as you've grown up? You know, as as we, I'm I'm a few years older than you and Ricky, um, so I grew up thinking, you know, Junior Hanley is the greatest race car driver in the world. Dave Dion is the greatest race car driver in the world. They can go anywhere in the country and win races. They come to Thunder Road to race the Milk Bowl because it's the biggest deal, you know, going. Um, but where does it stack up for you guys as um, the younger crowd? TJ, go ahead. I think even with my generation, you know, it does go what Alan Tom said. It's a it's a great regional race. Um but on a national level, I don't think, I don't think it, especially in, in today's world where, um, and if, let me go back when I started going, you know, it was, it wasn't super late models. It wasn't pro stocks. It was, you know, late models and late models only ran at a handful of racetracks and, you know, the adaptation of ACT um, and the program going, you know, throughout new england it it kind of expanded the, those roots a little bit but it's still a very regionalized event um you know it's and i think because of that because it was such a going back on the rules again it's not dirt late models where i can take my dirt late model from florida to ohio to you know Oklahoma or wherever and I can't take my sprint car or my UMP modified and go all over and I can't take my super late model and go from Florida to uh you know Wisconsin to Nashville to Pennsylvania and run it you know it's a very very regionalized thing and I think in 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 my generation so since I've been going since the late 90s it's it's always been that it's always been the the big regional event you know especially in that you know, Green Mountain, you know, in between like, you know, the Champlain Valley and, you know, the, the, uh, White Mountains, you know, you get the best, you should get the best of the best of that, of that region. It kind of expanded over years, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's heavily regionalized and it's probably more heavily regionalized since, uh, you know, since everything got split, you know, way, way back when. You know, back when, you know, NASCAR North, you know, when that split happened and ACT went one way and NASCAR went the other way, you know, because my my entire upbringing has always been Bush North, you know, and and seeing, you know, those guys and Dion and Brad Layton and Kelly Moore. And then when I became more aware of the history and reading about it, it's like, oh, these guys, these guys used to run, you know, and why don't they anymore? And I think that's part of the regionalization of it. That's a, that's a great point that I will segue directly into Ricky. 
you being from Plattsburgh and not getting to Thunder Road very often as a kid, um, ACT was the big deal, even uh, as late models and not super late models at all. And there's 50 and 60 cars showing up to qualify at every event, you know, the Milk Bowl, of, of course, included. Um, what's your take on this whole conversation? You know, um, like you had said, Tom Curley and the American Canadian Tour, they oversaw Air, then Airborne International Raceway from 1990, I think, until 2003 or 2004, 2004 maybe. Can't remember. Justin, you're the stats guy. But anyway, um, I, I knew about the Milk Bowl um, right from the get-go. It didn't have a whole lot of New York flair. Um, Al mentioned it earlier, uh, Danny Bridges winning in 1971. I did not know John Rosati won the first segment. That's pretty neat. But, uh, I think Danny Bridges is still the only New York driver to ever win the event. Um, but yeah, always familiar with it. I knew it was the crown jewel, uh, as far as the schedule was concerned over at Thunder Road. And I know the show is in a, is not about the Oxford 250, but really the first time I had heard about the 250 was in 2000, I think 2004 when Matt Kenseth was there. And I was reading about it in the area, area auto racing paper over at airborne. And I was reading, you know, they had eight heats with 12 cars each and it just blew my mind. And I, I knew that was one event that I had to attend. And as far as the milk bowl, uh, we we've talked about a little bit about the uniqueness of it. The three fifty lap segments, of course, the format has, has changed a time or two, but, um, I've never been a huge fan of segment racing. Um, I always loved the uh, the Labor Day Classic race over at Thunder Road, going to that growing up um, because of the element of strategy, uh, especially tire strategy. When you're pitting for those two right side tires, it kind of shuffles up the field a little bit, um, keeps you on the edge of your seat. But uh, I think over time, I've grown to appreciate um, not only uh, when when segment racing, when it's a one-off, when it's a once-a-year thing, I can certainly appreciate it and just how difficult it is to win this race. I think Dave Dion said once, not only does it take skill, but it's, it has to involve some luck and um, it's, it's special for sure. And, and like I said earlier, um, I, I do think as far as auto racing is concerned in the state of the Vermont, it, it is the Super Bowl. Um, maybe not the biggest race in New England, but um, it's a big deal in the green mountain state. Al, do you like, the segments are the segments still you know a big part of its success because segment racing can also be used as a crutch and we saw it over the last 10 years when tiger numbers got down and everyone just said, oh we'll just do segments because we only have you know six seven cars and it takes away kind of like ricky said from the luster of we see it once a year yeah, those absolutely take away from it. But the Milk Bowl is the Milk Bowl. It's unique. It was the first one to have the format. Uh, there's so much strategy that plays into it, even more so now than in the old days, because in the old days, there was no limit on tires. How much you, However much you wanted to spend, you could spend on tires. You could bolt four on every segment if you wanted to. And now with the tire rule, you have to figure out when you're going to use them, when you're going to go hard, so on and so forth. And a lot of that plays in with the segment stuff, which is what makes it so unique. You know, your weekly ones, when you got nine cars and you do two segments because it's supposedly less boring, that stuff I really dislike. Um, the Another event that's happening as we speak, 
um, this weekend is the Oktoberfest at Lacrosse Speedway in Wisconsin. And on their Friday night show is the Dick Trickle 99. And just today I read an article um, about the promoter, Greg McCarns, asked permission from Tom Curley and Ken Squire to create that race, copying the Milk Bowl format, and they endorsed it. Um, and I think that once a year, it's great. Um, and in a different part of the country, it's totally great. Um, but like Tom was saying, um, it gets, it gets watered down up here. Um, I think the milk bowl is the milk bowl and it will always be special, but when the tigers are running segments every week, when the car count is low, hell, we did it at devil's bowl, um, with our mini sprints a time or two this year, because, there just wasn't enough cars to put on a great show. Um, it's it dilutes the the product a little bit. Um, should there be, are are we are we just used to it up here, and that's why we do it, or or is it is it a crutch? Um, and Zig, give us give us your opinion on that. Well, I I certainly would agree that uh, it can be overdone very easily. But one one thing I like to make a point about with the segment racing and all us uh, junkies we're we're fully prepared to uh, uh, keep the numerical count and we're all excited about so-and-so was supposed to finish second but they got a flat tire and then they finished 14th and so-and-so has got to pass seven cars to win the third leg of the you know in the third leg to win the race or whatever but I've I feel that a there are, there are many people at Thunder Road who are, are they've got their notebook out and their pencil out and they're keeping score in the milk bowl as us media types. But there's also a lot of people that are there that um, are going to not follow what's happening in the milk bowl. It's just the way it is. And one of the things that makes a, a real difference, I think, at Thunder Road is uh, the work of the announcer and uh, Dave Moody was great at it um and uh the present day announcers have done well um i'm i'm forgetting the fellow in the middle between uh uh, dave moody's successor what was that troy germain troy germain um they can really make the event a better event by without completely swamping people with statistics and calculations, keep them abreast of what's going on so they don't have to do it themselves because it can get, um, I've seen certain segments of the crowd just kind of drift off, if you will, like, well, didn't this guy just win? He came, he was first across the finish line, you know? So the work of the announcers has and can um, contribute a lot to how the milk goes down at Thunder Road, I think. Oh, well, Zig, I, I fear that we will go past your expiration date here before we get to the next question. So we okay. want to thank you for, for joining us and um, hope to see you around sometime. Are you going to be at the milk bowl next weekend? I hope to be there. Yes. All right. Um, you better say I hi. want, I want like to have assurance of good weather. If it's at all, if anybody's capable of, uh, coming up with that but i'm going to be there i'll look you up and uh, it's good to good to be on here with all your characters al tell us who is the best to ever do the milk bowl you know your robbie crouches objective i i can't really answer that i mean there's been lots of great drivers that have been in it 
I'm just saying, who tickles your peach? Who's your personal, in your opinion, not who just saying who is, but in your opinion, who, when you watch, said, man, they do the milk bowl better than anybody. How can you not say Robbie Crouch? That'd be my answer. You know, the stats prove it out, but my eyes proved it proved it out also. I mean, and you've got to remember he went he won in the steel bodied late model era, and he won in the fiberglass plastic bodied pro stock era. And not many people have won a milk bowl on different platforms, so to speak. You know, the thing that I think is most striking about Robbie Crouch's well, the fact that he's won four milk bowls and nobody else has, but the fact that he did them in four different ways, he won zero segments, he won one segment, he won two segments, and then he had the clean sweep in, in 86. And I think that is a spectacular statistic. Um, it's hard to argue anybody better than Robbie Crouch. Um, I'm going to throw, well, no, well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to ask Ricky and TJ before we, before I give my opinion, but uh, TJ, go ahead. Who who do you think is the best milk bowl racer of all time? In the generation uh, that I've seen, I think it's Patrick LaPearl. You know, he he made it thrilling. He's made it made it super thrilling. Um, and I think his style, where it's just aggressive enough. Um, is what makes makes him one of the best in that in that type of format. A very close second to me would have been Brian Hoare, a, a very similar type driver to LaPearl. Best milk bowl um, winner, I, I'd have to say Robbie Crouch, of course. Um, the statistics speak for themselves. Um, as far as my lifetime is concerned, I'd have to go Brian Hoare. Um, won a couple of times with his family-owned team. And then, like uh, like Dave Dion in the Oxford 250, comes back the following decade, and and he actually won it with uh, driving for a car owner um, for Rick Paya. So, um, yeah, Robbie Crouch and Brian Orr certainly the two that come to mind. I mean, like like I said earlier, based on statistics, I'd I'd have to give the nod, the edge to uh, to Robbie Crouch. I'm gonna interject my own opinion here, and um, I. I, I think that it's a guy that maybe is overlooked um, and he's a guy that um, we hope to have on the show at some point, but I'm going to say Phil Scott. Um, he had a, an incredible run of milk bowls uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, the one that we spoke about with Tracy Bellrose, he did absolutely everything that he had to do to win that race. Um, and he was clutch. Um, but just a couple of years before that, with Dave Dion as his teammate um, put together. And I think it was 97, uh, one of the greatest milk bowls that I ever saw. And maybe Al, you remember that. Maybe Tom, you remember that. Um, but just an unbelievable race. And uh, I think he beat Dion by one point. Um, and he's been close. He's knocked on the door several times as well. Um, will I say that he's as, as good as Robbie Crouch um, as far as the milk bowl goes? Mm, maybe not. Um, I think that there's a case for some of the guys who didn't win a lot of milk bowls. And I think Beaver Dragon is one of the better milk bowl drivers of all time. Um, he only won once and it was a catamount. Um, 
when when that happened in uh, seventy eight. But he was been in, he's been on the podium six or seven times. Um, he's won some segments, and he's always there. You know, I, I think that that there's a lot of guys who maybe should have won a bunch of milk bowls, just never had the break in traffic or whatever to get that extra point to win it. But um, taking Robbie Crouch and Brian Hoare out of the conversation, I would say that that it's hard to beat a guy like um, Beaver Dragon, Bobby Dragon, John Paul Cabana, who, who really top five them to death through all the segments forever and ever. And, and Dave Dion, of course, too. Um, he won more segments than anybody in history. Um, I'm excited to see who will take over the next uh, wave uh, in, in the next wave of drivers here that's coming in. And I think Bobby Therrien is on his way to that. Jason Corliss obviously has a good start. Um, but I also think, and I don't remember who said it earlier in the show, but a guy like Brooks Clark or a guy like uh, Christopher Pelkey, who again will top five them to death and they, they may not win all the segments, um, but they will be there in the, in the end as a, as a contender for, for years to come, I believe. Um, uh, that's exciting to me. Kind of on the flip side, Al, who is the best underdog to come out on top of a milk bowl? Well, it has to be Danny Bridges, unquestionably. You know, he nobody really even knew who he was there. He hardly ever ran at Thunder Road. He ran at Catamount some. Plattsburgh, of course, he was known as Plattsburgh then, not Airborne, was his main, uh, where he ran mainly, and he was a, the ultimate low bucker. Ricky. I had I, I didn't attend this one. I was only like nine months old, but um, looking at the the list of, of winners, I'd have to say Dan Beatty. Holy cow! I watching the video on YouTube recently. I think the great Dave Moody pulled out the line, "Do you believe in miracles?" Like on that final lap in the third segment. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, like Nick Sweet, a hometown kid, uh, grew up not or you know had his garage not too far from the track and uh, did the unthinkable and pulled um, one of the bigger upsets. I certainly looking at the the list of champions, like Al said, Danny Bridges, a low buck operation, knocking off the giants in, in 1971. And then of course, in 1991, Dan Beatty certainly comes to mind. TJ. I would have to say Eric Williams, you know, Eric, I was hoping is, somebody would say, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Eric Williams, I mean, up until that point, had done some stuff, but wasn't the consistent threat, the championship threat um, that he became to be, and, you know, in the late 2000s. And not that it came out of nowhere. It was a, it was a guy that you put in your B tier that, hey, if things go right, he could win it. And, and, and if you, when you look at the list of multiple winners, they're mostly A tier drivers at that point in their career. And then you get to Eric Williams, and he's like, that was a little bit before he became that championship threat, that weekly threat, and he put it all together that one day. Mm-hmm. Al, that was an opportunity missed for you there. <laughs> no, I couldn't say that. No, I you worked could on too. the car, so that kind of disqualified. Well, who do you think is the underdog that you'd be willing to maybe bet on this year? Depends on your definition of underdog. Do you count Derek O'Donnell as an underdog? I do this year. Because that would be who I would pick as an underdog. TJ? Yeah, if, if O'Donnell's in that pool, I'm I'm taking I'm taking O'Donnell. Um 
outside of it, I, I think it's Chris Pelkey. Ricky? Yeah, I'd have to go with Chris Pelkey as well, but never count out Derek O'Donnell. Um, if he can get his program straightened right out to the days of him winning those uh, cons- championships consecutively, he will, the Black Knight of the White Mountain, I feel like that, like, you know, w- what was said earlier in the show, he would like, he would trade in one of those track championships for, for a Milk Bowl win. I feel like that trophy, that Milk Bowl trophy is is missing from his his trophy case. And um, yeah, no, those are certainly the two names that come to mind, both Chris Pelkey and, and Derek O'Donnell. Justin, go outside the box. I was going to ask you the same thing. Um, I have, can I have more than one? Well, it's our show, so. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, I've got three guys that I really, I hope that they win the Milk Bowl before their career is over. Trampus Demers is one of them, and he absolutely deserves it. Um, uh, I, I'm going to join everybody else and say uh, Christopher Pelkey. Um, but Tyler Cahoon is a guy that I think is overlooked a lot, and he's got the goods. Um, he was third in the Milk Bowl just a, a year or two ago, um, and I don't have it in front of me, but um, Tyler Cahoon is a guy who has paid his dues over and over again. Um, and, and you, you can say the same about Trampus Demers. Um, it's going to happen for them at some point. I don't know if it's this year or not. Um, uh, and then uh, DJ Shaw. I just I think DJ Shaw, with the year that he's had, um, he's flown completely under the radar. Even though he's, you know, could win the ACT championship this year. Um, nobody at Thunder Road pays any attention to him. Nobody knows who the hell he is uh, for crying out loud he's one of the best drivers of this generation we just don't see him over here in vermont um and i i think that he could do it go tom tell me tell me you got a big smile i'm just saying in his late model debut if stephen martin won the milk bowl wow that's a pretty big underdog story it's made for disney channel inject that into my veins yeah yeah A, a stephen martin milk bowl win uh in his debut, good God! Or a Stephen Donahue, uh, really? Uh, you know, put him in there. There was a year that Lance Allen had a shot going into the third segment, and it wasn't too long ago. And I thought that was the coolest damn thing in the world that a guy like Lance Allen could could potentially win the Milk Bowl if things went his way. Yeah, there's some there's some fun. I mean, <clears throat> Marcel Gravel was track record holder, and yeah, still probably working out the kinks of that new car, but why not? And, you know, Brandon Lanfear's definitely got the experienced crew with him. Well, and he's riding a high right now too. He just won a race. It'd be, it'd be cool to see, you know, what Zig said earlier, um, a, a, a weekly guy to, to win that show. What about Brendan and Moody? Maybe, uh, Brendan Moody is the next guy that I was going to say. Um, and Matt White, um, who's been a, he's been grinding there for how long? And he's put three different clips on the car this year, <laughs> um, you know, and something like that. But he's a guy who could finish fourth in one segment and then eighth in one and then win the last segment and, and pull off the win. Um, and I, I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. And I think that a guy like that would just bring the house down. I feel like we're getting to the point to wrap this up and just get a few last things in here. And just because I don't want Justin streak to uh to go to the wayside tj what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car (laughs) we didn't discuss this but i'm so glad you brought it up (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, my, my career was fairly short lived, but, uh, one, one Thursday night, um, we, if I right on the green flag of a street stock race, I hit the, there was a wreck and I hit the brake and the brake went right to the floor and I T-boned David Allen right on the front stretch. And I had to sit there and catch my breath for a few seconds. Cause, uh, I slid forward in the seat and, and then afterwards went in the pits. I, I knew we didn't have any brakes. I didn't ask uh, what they did and uh, went back out. We came from the back. I don't remember what we finished. And when I came back in, they're like, yeah, just don't look at the, uh, the left rear brake. So I looked and they had uh, vice gripped it off and the vice grip was hitting off the tire. Um, Jesus. But yeah, but in my short career, that would, that would almost be the dumbest thing I've ever done. And uh yeah, there was one time at White Mountain I was going to go intentionally wreck a guy, and he broke right before I got to him too. So I was there. I teed him up, and who was it? Off he went. Yeah, who was it? Uh, I don't remember. Bullshit. <laughs> this, was... <laughs> <laughs> this... <laughs> this was fifteen, sixteen years ago now. But I, yeah, I had, I was going to go wreck him, and he broke right as I got to him. <laughs> Let's ask quick hitters for everybody here. Uh, TJ got his. Um... <laughs> uh al if you're going on a long road trip who do you want riding shotgun with you oh you know i would probably pick my brother because we've done hundreds of those long road trips together mm-hmm. and we always have a great time yeah and, and give credit to andy you know i, I talked to you up uh, you know with your photography and stuff but he's uh he's just as good and, and is a great contributor to your your project Absolutely. Ricky, what was the best race that you saw in person? Wow. Um, I am not prepared for this, but off the top of my head, um, the Memorial Day Classic with Joey Becker and Mark Lamberton racing side by side for like what seemed like 50 of the 100 laps, that was the second time I had ever been to Thunder Road. And uh, I'll never forget it. And I remember when when Mark Lamberton, of course, a New York driver, he he went around in turn four as the two were coming to the checkered flag. Thunder Road went absolutely wild. Um, that one comes to mind. And Justin, I might need an assist here, but I think it was the 2009 Fall Foliage 300. That's the race Patrick I thought you were going to say. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, that it's kind of 1A and 1B. Um, Patrick LaPearl had gone, it was either 248 or 252 laps without pitting for fuel at a four tenths of a mile racetrack. And, um, he was just about running on fumes when he ducked down, you know, in, into when he went ducked to uh, pit side there and he came all the way from, you know, restarting as like the last car in the lead lap. And he won that thing and airborne was full of, of the, you know, Quebec fans. And, uh, it, it was, it was quite the quite the show. Those are really the two that uh, that come to my mind. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that one. Uh, before we wrap it up, quick, just name the driver who's going to win the Milk Bowl, Al. I have to unfortunately say Jason Corliss. TJ. Derek O'Donnell. Wow. Ricky. Jason Corliss, I am not prepared to compare you to Dave Dion, Robbie Crouch, and the likes but I got to go Jason Corliss here. Tom. Pat Corbin. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'll say Wiener Hennequin. Yeah. Mini milk bowl winner. <sighs> I hope so. For Wiener. Then we'd have a hell of a Crunch Bunch episode with Al. Uh, the other Al. Before we close it, Al, where can uh, people find your stuff? At uh, com. Approaching a million uh, photos on there. Unbelievable. Wow. And for every photo on there, there's at least one that isn't scanned yet. We are excited. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding about that. It's seriously one of my favorite things to do is go on your website and just click. And sometimes I don't know what I find. Yeah. And thank you for letting us use them a lot for Justin's posters for, for this thing yeah. every hey, week. They need to be seen. It's important work that you guys uh, have all done, and, and we thank you for each of your contributions. And that, of course, extends to um, Tom Herzig, but uh, Alan Ward, TJ Angerson, Ricky St. Clair. Um, thank you guys, and uh, have a fun milk bowl. Thanks again to uh, everybody for helping us out with today's episode and i'm not really sure what you just listened to because we uh we hit re-record after we stopped recording because (laughs) some good stories came out after the fact but i don't know if and uh when and or where that i can or will (laughs) splice those in so uh we might save those gold nu- golden nuggets for something else, or I might just shove them in at the end. We'll see. <laughs> and if I didn't, well, this uh, 45 this seconds sense. was a real waste of your time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save the, the extra tidbits and put them in the Ricky test episode. Yeah, we have uh, uh, a growing, yeah. growing list. <laughs> Uh, 1997 Chuck Beatty finished third. I never answered your question, uh, but that was his best, um, in the milk bowl. So yeah. Uh, and he won the poll in 1996. So he had a pretty good little run there. Interestingly enough, long after his, uh, three straight championships. Yeah. And you know, the milk bowl became a late model race in 96, um, so he was the first milk bowl pole winner, but that was far from his first milk bowl as he ran the old tour um, for several years um, and, and had been in the milk bowl a few times, but um, yeah, the nineties Chuck Beatty was, he was fire at Thunder Road. Another, uh, another guy we have on our list for when we can get out and about. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a lot of names on that show, on this show that we want to talk to and Danny Bridges, Alan Ward kept uh, bringing him up and he's a guy that uh, I would love to sit down and pick his brain about the old days at airborne and talk about the milk bowl. And um, yeah, that'd be cool. To, we got to get across the lake and go talk to him. Put it on the list. Oh, if you were uh, listening to us on Apple, make sure to leave us that five star review. Five star comment leave us a good review it helps with the algorithms and what have you mm-hmm. if you're listening on spotify google anchor those are our big ones 
subscribe, follow, whatever, whatever your particular app asks for you to do. That way you get the episodes as soon as they come out first thing Friday morning. I got a notification that we are one of Anchor's top performing shows. I think they say that to all the podcasts, but. I didn't get that. I didn't get that notification. I don't know. Where did I get that notification? Maybe it was on the app. Or in a dream. Mr. Anchor called. I told me. Actually, it was Paul Anka, and he's a huge Paul fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, make sure you're following us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Facebook and Twitter. Uncommon mm-hmm. Deeds podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. Keep an eye out for... Uh, we do well. Usually, it has not been a hundred percent in the last month or so. But usually, Monday morning, we'll put out a uh, little teaser with a yep. sexy silhouette of a race car, and let you uh, guess on who the week's guest is, and then we'll reveal it Monday evening around five five thirty. I'm working hard. To line up guests for next week. I've I've already started for the next two weeks to get some some guests together here because this rainout kind of screwed up our plans. But um, I know, but I'm starting to see a little more free time, Justin, and he's getting after it. Oh yes. Yep. Usually, <laughs> I send a message on Friday or Sunday, <laughs> like, "Hey, so do we have a plan for this week? I got some feelers out." Yeah, but he is uh, he is midweek on it for next couple weeks. This is some free time, Justin. During Peeking the out. Uh, during the <laughs> Devil's Bowl season, and Tom would always message me like just as we're going green on Saturday night. <laughs> Be like, "Hey, we have a plan," and I'm like, "I don't want to think about that right now." <laughs> uh, yeah, I squirmed a lot. <laughs> when you sent those messages, I was like, oh, nope, we don't have a plan. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be the, uh, I try not to ask too much during the week. So I'm like, oh, he knows. I don't yeah. need to keep bugging him. He knows we need a guest. And it's Saturday and Sunday, and I start getting nervous. Like, so yeah. <clears throat> what evening do I need to <laughs> to set aside? I don't know yet. We haven't we haven't had to do a Thursday yet, where we record yeah. Thursday night and I turn and burn it and just stick it out on Friday. So well, we're not doing too bad. We've we gone into did. a Thursday. We've gone into Thursday a couple of times. Uh, Austin yeah. Terrio. Austin Terrio and was running I feel late like we at went a, over uh, midnight. Yeah. We went over midnight with somebody else too. I think it was somewhat recent. Or was it uh was it Pula? Yes, because we stayed up and shot the shit with him for another hour after the show. Yeah. Uh that was that was a that was still that's one of my favorite episodes, man. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. And um the Brent Dragon episode from last week is doing very well. Yeah. Um listener wise and um glad to see that because Brent deserves to be heard. Um and I've had so many messages since that show from former racers 
who have said the Tom Curley bias is a real thing. And that's why we stopped racing ACT. And that's Brent is the third or fourth guy to say that on the show. Um, I mean, maybe more than that. Um, Gene Paul Sear, Dave Dion, Robbie Crouch, Brent, they've all said it. Steve Poulin said it. You know, the, the, the wars with Tom Curley drove me out of ACT. Alex and, Whitcomb uh, on the Crunch Bunch podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a common theme. And I, and I, again, just before we heard, uh, just before we went to record tonight, I got a message from, from Jerry Winch, who I used to pal around with over at airborne a lot. Um, and he was in the middle of going for his third straight tiger championship at airborne and kind of got run out. I mean, just so, you know, and I'm not here to just shit on Tom Curley. I'm just saying that this is a common theme and, um, and Brent's story is, is, uh, unique because it's his, but it's also not unique because it feels like everybody else has had the same experience. <laughs> Yikes. But, there's been uh, uh, some good there's, stories. There's been a few Corbett's banned for life for a while. <laughs> yeah. A handful. There, there's a reason why we ended up at white mountain. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Absolutely. That's for another day. I look for, I really am. I've been holding off because I didn't want to be like too homery, but I'm really looking forward to when we can talk to Pat for one. I, I really would like that too. Yeah. So at yeah. some point in the near future. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if I can get uncle Pat on the zoom. That might have to be a road trip, but we'll have to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. We've had some surprises. We've had some people that have really shocked me that, oh, yeah, I, I use Zoom every day. Oh, okay. It's a brave new world, sir. 2021. But thanks, everybody, right. for listening. Try to keep this one short and sweet for you because yep. the interviews, well, the roundtable was not as short. It wasn't crazy long, but, you know, try to get you in and out and then. Next week, it's going to be a doozy. No idea who it is, but I have complete faith that Justin's, he's coming. He's coming with something fire. <laughs> uh, thanks to Alan Ward, Tom Herzig, TJ Anderson, and Ricky St. Clair for, uh, for coming on board and doing that roundtable thing for the first time. It was cool. I think it went well. I would agree. And yeah. let us know. Even if you didn't like it, let us know you didn't like it. If we suck, we want to hear about it because we can't get better. But just directly send us the message saying we're suck. Don't influence other people's opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tell us we suck quietly. (laughs) But no, thank you, everybody. You've been listening to uh, Uncommon Deeds, a production of Uncommon Media.